0: These politicians in the state legislature have already laid the tracks to take over local boards of elections for almost any frivolous reason to undermine the voices of local voters and local election administrators control the count muddy the waters question or determine the outcome
1: correct. That is the whole point, Senator Reverend Dr. Warnock. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why I came I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The broadcast That's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding, on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR in Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF, We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you for your listening convenience on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. I am... um I am not generally a fan of Reuters. Uh, I don't know about you, Desi Doyen. Are Um, you
2: a fan of Reuters? Yeah, actually, well, I should say they do a very, very good job on climate and environment coverage. Really? Yep, but other than that... Okay,
1: mm. well, no, good to know. I didn't know they were good on climate. And in recent weeks, uh, I, I have to note, even though I'm not generally a fan, they have been doing an extraordinarily good job of reporting on the ongoing assault on democracy itself on attacks on election officials stemming from Donald Trump's attempt to steal the 2020 election by blatantly lying about it and citing certain election officials by name who were subsequently then targeted, sometimes along with their family members with threats of violence and death by his supporters and on the effects of new laws that are being adopted in GOP-controlled states around the nation, all as fallout from the lies that Donald Trump told in his effort to steal last year's presidential election. Last week, Reuters James Oliphant and Nathan Lane took a detailed look at the effects that Trump's attempted election theft last year is now having on local officials in a state that we have covered in great detail on this program, Georgia, where longtime local election officials, specifically Democratic election officials, specifically black Democratic election officials, are now being purged across the state at an alarming rate from their jobs on county election boards. We'll be joined momentarily by one of those longtime, incredibly well-respected election officials who has now been purged from her role after uh, more than a decade in the wake of this assault on democracy itself by Republicans in the Peach State. But I want to share some of Oliphant and Lane's coverage at Reuters first to give you a sense of what is going on, because I do not think it is getting out Uh, via the national corporate media, at least not to the extent that it should. And it is, as you will hear, not very good, as we are now just months away from the start of primary elections for the 2022 midterms. Protesters filled the meeting room of the Spalding County Georgia Board of Elections in October Upset that the board had disallowed early voting on Sundays for the November 2nd municipal election last month in the 2020 presidential elections, Sunday voting had been instrumental in boosting turnout of black voters. But this was an entirely different five member election board than had overseen the last election. The Democratic majority of three black women was gone. So was the black elections supervisor. Now, a faction of three white Republicans controlled the board, thanks to a bill passed by the Republican-led Georgia legislature earlier this year known as SB202. The Spalding board's new chair has endorsed former President Donald Trump's false stolen election claims on social media, the panel in Spaulding, a rural patch south of Atlanta, is one of six county boards that Republicans have quietly reorganized, which is a very nice way to put it, in recent months through a different but similar and actually longstanding, as I understand it, county-specific state legislation. All told, the changes expanded the party's power over choosing members of local election boards ahead of the crucial midterm elections, Uh, Congressional elections in November of 2022 in a state that Joe Biden won by about 12,000 votes last year, giving Democrats their first presidential victory in the state since, I believe, 1992, followed by the election of two Democratic U.S. senators in a January runoff election, resulting in Democratic control of the U.S. Senate. The unusual rash of county election board restructurings across Georgia follows the state's passage of Senate Bill 202, which restricted ballot access statewide and allowed the Republican controlled state election board to assume control of county boards that it deems to be underperforming. The board immediately launched a performance review of the Democratic-leaning Fulton County Board, which oversees a large part of Atlanta, just after SB 202 was passed. The bill also restricts press access to voting and results tabulations, among other things, which I mention here by way of noting, with full disclosure, that I am personally a named plaintiff Representing media in one of the lawsuits that has been filed to challenge SB 202 is filed by the Coalition for Good Governance. I hope to have a status update for you in that case later this week. But the Georgia restructurings, Reuters notes, are part of a national Republican effort to expand control over election administration in the wake of Trump's false voter fraud claims. Republican led states like Florida, Texas, Arizona have enacted new curbs on voter access this year. Backers of Trump's false stolen election claims are running campaigns for secretary of state, often the top election official in battleground states. And some Republicans in Wisconsin are now seeking to eliminate the state's bipartisan election commission entirely and threatening its members with prosecution. But the stakes in Georgia are particularly high right now. Its first term Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock will be up for reelection in 2022 a contest that could prove pivotal to which party controls Congress. And, of course, the governor's race next year pits incumbent Republican Brian Kemp against Trump-endorsed candidate David David Perdue in a primary where the winner will likely face Democrat Stacey Abrams, a voting rights advocate. Both Warnick and Abrams are black. The county board restructurings and statewide voting restrictions, Democrats and voting rights groups say, represent the most sweeping changes in decades to Georgia's electoral system. Until 2013, Georgia elections operated under federal oversight to ensure fair participation for black voters in this once segregated southern state. But that ended, of course, when the U.S. Supreme Court gutted that uh, federal oversight in 2013 in the uh, when they gutted the Voting Rights Act. In five of the Georgia counties that restructured election boards so far, Troop, Morgan, Pickens, Stevens and Lincoln counties, the legislature shifted the power to appoint some or all of those election board members to local county commissions, all of which are currently controlled by Republicans. Previously, the appointments to those county boards had been split evenly between the local Democratic and Republican parties, the intent of the old system to ensure a politically balanced or nonpartisan board. In the sixth county, Spalding, the parties still choose two members each, but the fifth member is now chosen by local judges. Those judges tend to be politically conservative, as Reuters describes them. They appointed a white Republican to replace a black Democrat on the election board, giving Republicans a three to two majority. You see what's going on here and all too quietly under much of the media radar before a single vote has even been cast in the 2022 primaries. The previous fifth member on the Spalding County Board was a black Democratic woman. She has been ousted. She was replaced by a man who is also vice chair of the county Republican Party. In September, he voted to end Sunday voting in the county. The board's new chair is a former official of the county Republican Party who, on his social media posts, endorsed Donald Trump's false voter fraud claims refused to answer Reuters questions about them and would not answer questions about whether he acknowledged that Joe Biden even won the 2020 election fairly. The law restructuring Spalding's board also required the elections supervisors to live in the county. That change forced out the incumbent supervisor to other black Democrats on the board quit, citing objections to the law and harassment from Trump supporters because, yes, political terrorism works. One of the women who quit said that the board's meetings were increasingly attended by Trump supporters crying fraud and said, "quote, I have never been afraid in this town, but I am now." In Morgan County, the majority Republican county commission reconstituted its elections board, ousting two outspoken black democrats. In Troop County, a black Democratic member claims the board shakeup was aimed at ousting her because she fought to increase voting access. County elections boards in Georgia have broad authority over voter access, such as polling locations and early voting procedures. They also have considerable sway over post-election provisional ballot tallies and audits and recounts. Reconstituted boards in two of the six counties have already moved to restrict voting access. In addition to Spalding's termination of Sunday voting, Lincoln County has proposed consolidating its seven precincts into one single voting center, which would discourage voting by people traveling from remote areas. In Lincoln County, the new law removes appointments by political parties and gives the Republican led county commission discretion to appoint the board's three member majority. And this is not just in Democratic leaning counties. Trump won Spaulding County with 60% of the vote in 2020, but his margin of victory declined by four percentage points from 2016. As turnout among black voters jumped 20 percent in a county where the population is 35 percent black. In western Georgia's Troop County, the Republican controlled county commission now appoints all election board members, a power that was previously shared by three cities and the two political parties. One of the two black female members who will leave the board at the end of 2021 has served since 2013 and says that the restructuring was aimed at unseating her because she fought to increase voter access. Her efforts included advocating for the first voting location in a predominantly black church in the county, which she says has had multiple precincts in predominantly white churches for many years. In Morgan County, Two black Democrats on the board, Helen Butler and Avery Jackson, were removed after the new law eliminated political party appointments and handed appointment power to the Republican-dominated County Commission. Butler and Jackson sought reappointments, but they were denied for some reason. But while you can deny Helen Butler a seat on the Morgan County Board of Elections, you cannot deny her indefatigable and, I believe you will find, Infectious optimism in her continuing fight for democracy, for voting rights for all. Yes, even in Georgia, even with these extraordinary authoritarian Republican assaults now underway. The great democracy activist, just named a goddess of democracy, by the way, in Glamour magazine's Women of the Year issue, Helen Butler joins us next in the Bradcast, and trust me, you don't want to miss her. That's straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial.
2: You're listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported, thanks to listeners like you, who drop by bradblog.com donate. If you are traveling back, Georgia. Won't you take me with you there?
1: Actually, if you're smart, you'll take Helen Butler with you there. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Republicans in the state of Georgia playing along with Donald Trump's 100% evidence-free claim that the 2020 election was stolen from him. Part of his own attempt to, yes, actually steal the election for himself, Uh, Republicans have been purging county elections boards uh, board officials across the state, purging black Democratic officials specifically using both the recently passed SB 202 bill to do it which is being challenged in eight different lawsuits right now, including one in which I am a named plaintiff representing journalists and another state law that can be used to restructure county election boards that has been on the books for a while, largely unused. But boy, howdy, are Republicans using it now to purge county election boards of voting rights advocates. God forbid we should have voting rights advocates on election boards. As Reuters recently reported, in at least half a dozen uh, Georgia counties that restructured election boards so far, the state legislature shifted the power to appoint some or all election board members to local county commissions, all of which are currently controlled by Republicans. Previously, the appointments had been split evenly between the local Democratic and Republican parties. But no longer. In Morgan County, for example, two black Democrats on the board, Helen Butler and Avery Jackson, were removed after state officials allowed elimination of political party appointments to the county board of elections and handed appointment power to the Republican dominated county commission. Butler and Jackson sought reappointments, but were both denied. Helen Butler has long advocated for voting rights and social justice. She testified before a special U.S. Senate subcommittee in July about the new barriers that are being put in place to get the to get to the ballot box in Georgia under the new GOP assault on voting rights in the state.
0: It definitely will make it more difficult, barriers, uh, hurdles that they will have to uh get across to even exercise their right to vote. It will take away the ability of people to have more polling locations, drop boxes inside the hours that they'll be able to vote. limiting the hours. (laughs) The the farmers, you have people that do farming. They work late hours. They won't be able to get there by 5 o'clock. If they do, they lose revenue. So those are the kinds of things that will happen as a result of these barriers that are put in place. They may be able to get over the hurdles, but my God, what kind of barriers will they have to do
1: to get there? Good question. Uh, We spoke with Helen Butler back in July on this program, just after her Senate testimony, when she knew that she was being pushed out of the role that she had on the Morgan County Board of Elections and Registration since 2010. But before some of the subsequent power grabs at a number of other counties in the state. Helen Butler still serves as the executive director of the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda. Back in 2013, she was appointed to serve on the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights as a member of the Georgia Advisory Committee. In March of 2021, she was presented with the Love Award from the Voter Empowerment Collaborative, named after the 40-year-old civil rights group's late, great, legendary founder, Reverend Albert E. Love, affectionately known as Mr. Vote. After, decade, uh, after dedicating his life to registering, educating, and mobilizing voters. Helen Butler was also, this year, named as a Defender of the Dream awardee at the afl Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Civil and Human Rights Conference. And, of course, for all of that work over so many years on behalf of civil rights and voting rights, she was ousted. From her role as a member of Morgan County, Georgia's Board of Elections, where she served as a champion for all voters for more than a decade. Helen Butler joins us again today. Ms. Butler, we are honored to have you back on the broadcast.
0: Oh, Brad, thank you so much. I am happy to be with you today. Hopefully we we would be back together talking about something positive, but we're talking about Georgia, and Georgia is always the model for bad stuff. What can
2: I say?
1: It really is. On the other hand, provides a whole lot of content for the broadcast these days, so there's that, (laughs) I guess. We (laughs) never stop talking about Georgia. Uh, Helen, you heard my detailed introduction there, uh, largely pulling a lot of material from what I think is very good coverage from Reuters' uh, James Oliphant and uh, Nathan Lane. Uh, Do they or did I adequately describe uh, this chilling moment of what is now going on in Georgia where there seems to be an unmistakable pattern of Democrats, largely black Democrats, and even more specifically, black Democratic women being purged from county election boards across the state. Is that a, an accurately painted picture of what's going on right now?
0: Well, Brad, yes, it is very accurate in terms of what is happening in Georgia. Uh, when sb-202 right after we couldn't even celebrate our victory uh... you know uh... with the two election of two u.s. senators Mm -hmm. we had the insurrection Then the next thing we had to contend with was our legislature that put in place that Mm sb-202 and it was the beginning of the model for takeover as i said i think when i was with you before the takeover process was the most egregious clause in that bill. Yeah. And you should see the takeover process that is happening right now in Lincoln County, where they took over the boards of elections. They are consolidating in to one polling location for a county that is rural, that doesn't have transit, that the nearest house is five miles away. Uh, And that a lot of people don't have transit, but they're going to do it anyway, because this takeover process is still a part, as I see it, a part of that insurrection plan nationally, Mm. that we're going to take over every aspect of controlling the outcome of elections. So if I don't like the results, I can put in the results that I want to have. Hall County, right now, there's uh, they're trying to reconstitute that board of election, and they just had a contentious meeting about that. Again, that's where one county, where you have a lot of uh, Latinx community there. Yeah. So what you have is where people of color are the majority. There are people trying to r- take control and so that they can control everything. Gwinnett is the most diverse county in Georgia. They tried to take over control of the boards of education. They're not stopping with just Mm. elections. They're trying to take over control of all aspects of government. Education departments are the largest generators of revenue in counties. So if they get to control that, They control all money. They get to control what our children learn, what they get, where schools are located. So, again, it's a total takeover process that Mm. they're going out. And elections, especially because they are going after not only local, uh, but the big, big counties they are going after, uh, people like Fulton County that is now under review and is uh, you know, depending on the outcome of that review, whether they do the takeover of that. Uh, so those are the problems that we're facing in Georgia. And while we can organize and organize, but it makes it difficult to be organizing on all fronts to try to get uh, uh, make sure they don't take total control. They just finished redistricting. Take that into consideration. They are drew all districts to take a large portion they're packing black and people of color either packing us in districts or cracking us and diluting our voting strength Uh, so we're waiting on Governor Kemp uh, to sign that legislation he hasn't done it so my take on that is he will wait for the 40 day period and it will automatically go into effect because a couple of like March Marjorie Taylor Greene, mm-hmm. they actually stacked hers with more uh, Democratic-leaning people. So uh, she's kind of upset with him, and so is another senator, and I guess he's just going to chicken out and wait till uh, the 40-day happens. But the idea is that they are stacking control of all mm. levels of government.
1: And all of which uh, seems to me, when I hear it, and I hear, as I hear you explain it, Helen Butler, uh, underscores the importance of elections and somehow being able to use these elections to undo all of the damage that they are doing to elections and school boards and everything else. How how large of a role specifically do county uh, uh, county elections boards in Georgia have in ensuring or I guess in equal measure blocking voting rights from county to county? In other words, how much access is determined at the county level versus the state level uh, in Georgia?
0: Well, the county levels are for are the ones that uh, where the rubber meets the road. They do all of the voter registration, making sure people are registered to vote. Uh, they get to determine uh, with their redistricting process how the maps are drawn, how people are put into those uh, maps. For the purpose of voting, mm-hmm. uh, so they also control who gets an absentee ballot, uh, whether it gets counted or it is rejected. If there are provisional ballots, they get to determine who in, uh, is counted, uh, which ones are counted, which ones are rejected. They get to certify the results. They get to count. The ele- all of the votes that are cast, and they get to certify where who gets to win each race. Mm. Uh, so they are very critical to it, and if you stack it so those people can conform to a lie versus the truth, then you don't get true democracy. You get, I don't know what you get. Yeah. You get an uh, autocratic form of government, I guess, because uh, someone wants it to go a certain way, And not necessarily to the will of the voters. So
1: it's fair to say that these these county election boards and again, you know, people rarely pay attention, certainly not the national media to things like county election boards and school boards and stuff. But it sounds like the county election boards in uh, in Georgia sort of do have the power to essentially tip Elections, uh, whether they out and out, you know, steal them, uh, 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 you know, overturn results or not, but they, they can just, with the rules that they pass, end up tipping quite a few elections. That's fair to say?
0: That is so true. They can't control the outcome of all elections. Hmm. Uh, I mean, you have election supervisors who are trusted with the ballots when they come in, uh, they get to store them, they get to count them, uh, so they are in control of the votes. So th- the election boards are there uh, for that purpose, and if you have people that control that process, that don't have integrity uh, like the boards now have, and you have people that go along with the line like they do. The guy in Spalding is mm-hmm. very biased, and he's already said, you know, like even we have a senator that's running said if he had been the Secretary of State, he wouldn't um, have certified the election. So if you put the mechanism in place to make it happen that way, you can get it that way. And- so elections are truly very critical. To this process. And
1: they do seem to be putting those mechanisms in place. Exactly what you're warning about, Helen Butler. And now in, in discussing some of these matters with uh, Marilyn Marks, who heads the Coalition for Good Governance. She's uh, one of the uh, about eight groups now who have filed mm-hmm. a lawsuit against the SB 202 law, along with the uh, Department of Justice. You know, as as the suits spell out, it uh, the law makes it harder for certain groups to vote, makes it more difficult for media to report on state elections and allows election officials to be removed and replaced, largely at the whim of the state legislature, allowing election results themselves then to be overturned. Now, I was speaking with Marilyn. She pointed out to me that m- many of the purges or much of the purge that is going on 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 county levels. Is not actually even due to SB 202, but to a much older law that was rarely used, rarely invoked, uh, allowing counties to restructure their local elections uh, elections boards. But now, all of a sudden, this provision, which is rarely used, if at all, is all of a sudden being used to over to, to, to all over the state to to do exactly that to, you know, change the makeup of these county election boards for some reason. First, do I understand that correctly? Are there sort of two different mechanisms at work here? One is SB202, and the other is this older uh, law that has been in place for a while. That's
0: correct. It's called local legislation. Uh-huh. Uh, so a delegation from a particular uh, a Georgia legislative delegation mm-hmm. can make a recommendation for a change, introduce legislation to change the composition of the Board of Elections. And they can do it, I mean, just because uh, they want to do it. And usually when local legislation is introduced, it passes automatically because everyone in the legislature would say, well, it's local, it deals with his county, so I'll have to worry about it. And so it passes without any um, Mm -hmm. objections from the total body, because it's a local bill that gets placed in addition to SB 202, which gives them the ability to take over four county boards of election at one time. The SB 202 limits it to four, but local legislation in this next legislative Mm -hmm. session Uh, they can introduce as many bills like that As they
1: want and that's uh, and and so there's sort of two mechanisms one where if I understand it correctly where the county sort of decides uh, they want to do this and these are often uh, you know Republican leading counties where they essentially reach up to the state and say hey we'd like to make this change and the state legislature says that's just fine and then there's SB202 which gives the state legislature itself and the uh, Secretary of State mm-hmm. sort of the uh, power to reach down into the counties and make changes Changes from above so Correct. if this uh, ability to push Democrats out with this other this local legislation as it's known this uh, other state measure if that has been in place for years it has already existed as I understand it was rarely used why in your opinion is it only now that uh, you believe that that law and SB 202 is suddenly being invoked to remove certain election officials uh, all over the state.
0: If you want to change the outcome, as, as the uh, former president said, he needed 11,000 votes. You can do that by restructuring the boards that would go along with the, the lie. And as Secretary Raffensberger said, I have to give him credit, there was no fraud in Georgia's elections. Um, We had an audit, we had two audits, a recount, we had the GBI that certified signature matches were good. There was no fraud, there was nobody voting for dead persons, Uh, there were no uh, young people voting as was alleged uh, to try to get uh, the outcome changed again. But the Mm -hmm. way that they couldn't get it done, Back then, by having the Secretary of State that would go along with the process, uh, they decided, well, we'll start from where really the rubber meets the road. We'll start at the local control part where we can put in place Mm -hmm. people on those boards of elections. And you have to think also the people that are hired to work in elections, that is done by your local boards of elections. So, I mean, they could be people everywhere uh, to do that. And so it's like total control. So if you want to change the process and the outcome, just restructure. That's why. And to do it in, I mean, Fulton County is uh, the largest demographics of black voters Mm -hmm. in the state of Georgia. Between that, DeKalb County, Cobb County, and Gwinnett County, people of Colorado are the majority. And there are some other counties that are that, that way as well, but in the counties outside of metro Mm -hmm. they tend to vote a different way so you change the means for you to have control so the majority is hell with the minority people.
1: And because Fulton, I guess, is so diverse, that would be an example of a county that would not want to use, reach up to the state legislature to use local legislation. That would be where SB 202 would come in, allowing the state legislature to reach down into Fulton and make the changes from above. So with, right. with that said... You know, how important is it that, you know, the suits currently being brought against SB202 be successful? Obviously, that's it would be important for it to be struck down for a a county like Fulton, which is huge. But, you know, if if it is struck down in some manner uh, and all of the challenges are currently, by the way, being heard by a Trump appointed federal judge, though one who actually appears to be pretty good so far. But. Even if that SB202 is struck down, I'm concerned because it sounds like many of the uh, problems of purged Democratic county officials would still be intact under this other law, even if the challenges to SB202 were fully successful. You guys still have some problems on your hand, it would seem to me.
0: Yes, we would still have problems. But if we get the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act passed mm-hmm. and Freedom to vote act that would put in place federal standards that would be required, you can mitigate those changes. Those changes would not necessarily have to go into effect, especially depends on how they write the law and have to have pre clearance. It would definitely help us. That's why we've been pushing Congress and now we're pushing the president. You've got to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act that has the pre clearance process as well as the freedom to vote with the standards that would require a lot of things to be done before these can be implemented. And that is our saving grace.
1: And I know you have been, uh, you testified uh, on the Hill over the summer, on my birthday, by the way, so thank you for that oh, birthday gift. Well, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, are, 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 are you in any way optimistic? I mean, you sound optimistic about so much, which is why we are such fans of yours, Helen, but... Are you in any way optimistic that, you know, there's support for Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act uh, from all 50 Democrats in the Senate? But both of those bills are currently being held up thanks to the unwillingness of Democratic Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema to reform the Senate filibuster to create a carve out for bills that would protect, you know, democracy itself. Are, are you optimistic in speaking with folks on the Hill or maybe uh, Senator Warnock uh, that this will actually happen? Because, boy, right now, it does not feel like there's any movement there, Helen. Well,
0: it doesn't feel like there's movement. But I was hopeful yesterday when our Senator, Reverend Dr. War- Warnock, put it so eloquently mm-hmm. that we uh, did away with the rule the filibuster rule to pass an economic bill. And certainly, if we could do it for economics, we can do it for democracy through passing voting rights legislation. Uh, so, you know, I believe I've always been optimistic. I try to look for the good things rather than dwell on the bad ones, but <laughs> I'm being trying to be very optimistic about this. I can say this it is perilous that we really get those bills passed, or it's very important, rather, Mm -hmm. that we get those bills passed because, I mean, with the redistricting, uh, we won't have the ability to elect people that we want to elect. Mm -hmm. Um, And if the party in power now wants to stay in power, they better look at the Voting Rights Act. Because with a redistricting uh, come next year, I don't think we'll have the turnout that we had because people uh, really believe that we were going to do something to protect the most sacred right we have. As my leader, the late Dr. Joseph Larry, said, voting is a sacred right, but it's also a moral obligation. And if we're going to protect that right, we've got to do something with the Voting Rights Act. And I'm optimistic that that will happen. You know, we don't endorse candidates or political parties, but I believe in destiny that in 2021, our destiny was to change things. And I still believe in 2022, our destiny is going to continue to change things.
1: Your optimism is infectious, and, uh, it, and it will help uh, help me keep going, I, I know, for uh, a while through all of this. Very quickly, I've got uh, two quick questions I want to hit you with, Helen, before I let you go. Of course, a redistricting, a gerrymandering in any event in uh, all 50 states, Poli- partisan gerrymandering would be banned by the Freedom to Vote Act. The John Lewis Mm -hmm. Voting Rights Act would, uh, you know, make uh, uh, racial gerrymanders much harder to uh, to pull off. Um, Mm -hmm. Is there any actual recourse uh, in either of those bills? Uh, that might be useful to you and the other purged election officials across the state. Again, many of them black Democratic women. I know that's a total coincidence, but uh, you know because oh, yeah, really all of the well, yes, well, <laughs> all the all the Republicans who are willing to even comment on on this say it's just merely to restore confidence in elections, Helen. So, is there any recourse either in either of those federal bills? Is there any recourse that all of you you folks, all of these purged democratic officials actually have to push back uh on those on those county restructurings? Have you all met in some fashion to band together to either file suit or otherwise even let the public know what is going on here?
0: Well, we've been educating people everywhere I go. I know I've been on several shows I've been talking about this um mm-hmm radio programs, and I know Lonnie has as well down in Chute County, and uh, I sorry down in Spalding County that was removed from the board, uh, and so there are, in. we have been looking at all legal options, but you know what? I think the best option is when you have those bills, we have the ability to make good selections and candidates that will do the right thing that can reverse all of those policies.
1: Oh, and, but overcoming the obstacles will be no easy feat. Uh, last question, anything, yeah. uh, Helen, that uh, the public can do about any of this, whether in Georgia or across the country, as I think it's you know, quite clear to many Americans now how important the state of Georgia is to the survival of American democracy itself at this point. We've been warning about it for years, well before what happened in 2020. Yes. Uh, I think the rest of the country is figuring it out. How can we help?
0: Well, you can help by participating on a local level. Every state is trying to copy Georgia, but if you live in Georgia, we need everyone watching those boards of elections, attending those meetings, watching who what they do, uh, help with the counting. You can uh, work as poll workers. Make sure that you're there in the counting process. And it doesn't start with the counting on Election Day. Mm -hmm. We have to remember the first day of early voting, you got to start watching during that entire process uh, to the day of Election Day to the last vote is counted. We need people engaged in that process. Speak up to your local elected officials. Hound them until they understand your state uh, senators, your state representatives, your Your Congress people tell them that we want those Voting Rights Act passed today before they go home, no recess until we get our rights to vote protected, and we need them. And just remember, Brad, I attended the last signing of the reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act uh, by President George Bush. Yeah. I was at the White House when he reauthorized the Voting Rights Act. So it's not about just black people. It's about people having access to the ballot. Sure, they're putting uh, barriers that will really hinder a lot, a large voting block, But we need to make sure it protects everyone. Because the old saying goes, you may come for me this time, but it's going to come for you the next time, so you need to be ready. So all of us are in this fight together uh, to make sure we protect democracy. So we need you to be engaged, run for office, be those elected officials that can change the laws, that will do the right thing and not try to fulfill some big lie and get overturned democracy.
1: Participatory democracy. There's an idea.
0: Yes! yes.
1: <laughs> Helen Butler is the executive director of the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda. She is now the former member of the Morgan County Board of Elections and Registration, but I suspect she will be fighting for voting rights in Morgan County still and across the entire state and, frankly, across the entire country. You can find the uh, People's Agenda at thepeoplesagenda.org or gcpa... Let's see, gcp agenda on the Twitters. Helen Butler, a delight speaking with you as ever. I look forward to having you back uh, to discuss whatever we've got to discuss, good or bad, because <laughs> uh, you are fantastic. Thanks, Helen, for your time today.
0: Oh, Thank you, Brad. And keep up the good work of educating us about what's happening.
1: Thank you. I will try. Okay, I feel better now. Everything's fine, <laughs> does he?
2: Yes, hope is infectious, isn't it, it? It
1: really will make it easier to get through the uh, the holidays, and who knows, maybe even the next year. Uh, after speaking with her, it is infectious indeed.
2: Yes, she's a she's a happy warrior, and her optimism I think proves that optimism is more useful and productive than cynicism because it certainly does get a lot more done if we participate and we show up.
1: Says you. Yeah, says right. me. I'm already crabby again. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm just fine. As a matter of fact, uh, let's stay optimistic, take a quick break here, and come back with some listener mail. We haven't done that for a while. That's straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones <laughs> we get letters. We get stacks and stacks, stacks of letters. See, told Joe going to stay optimistic and feeling good. Uh, yes. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with some letters, some listener mail, email from Pat A to bradcast at bradblog.com. Subject 12 9, 2021 broadcast And I believe this is on the uh, new unionization vote that has been now set by the National Labor Relations Board for workers at the Amazon facility Uh, in Bessemer, Alabama, where the company, you'll recall, cheated, according to the NLRB, in the first unionization vote in early 2021. And on my interview with labor historian Dr. Nelson Lichtenstein about it all as uh, workers around the country are now finally beginning to stand up for themselves for better pay and working conditions uh, with this tight post-pandemic labor market, uh, including unions striking for better pay and benefits and non-union shops at places like Amazon and Starbucks, where they just had a successful they successfully unionized the first Domestic Starbucks in the country, they stepped up uh, to unionize there for the first time. Anyway, Pat A. writes, A couple of hours before hearing the broadcast segment on the state of unemployment and the trend for employees to take a more active role in determining their fate through unionization, I had stopped at a local restaurant to pick up lunch for myself and an older than me friend. While waiting for the order at the just opened, otherwise empty restaurant, the younger than me woman was uh, working there, referred to herself as, quote, just a waitress while I waited for the order. I told her she was not just a waitress anything, that hers was a very important job, that admittedly most people don't give enough credit or respect to the people doing it. I told her I had been a waitress myself many years ago, and I know what a hard job it can be. Pat A says, I have no idea if I brightened her day, but it was nice to see her even smile after we talked. I was never a big union supporter during my working years, but I'm seeing more and more evidence that in today's job market, I'm very wrong If I continue that train of thought, we need to show everyone, particularly those doing jobs we are unwilling or unable to do ourselves, the respect that they deserve.
2: Good for you, Pat.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Pat. Excellent uh, note. Excellent thought. Here's some email to Bradcast at Bradblog.com from Steve P. On my conversation with John Schwartz recently on the lousy job that the corporate media are doing in misreporting on the. Actually, they're doing a great job in misreporting uh, (laughs) on the uh, surprisingly robust post-pandemic economy under Joe Biden. From Steve P. subject line. Oh, my. Brad. Brad. I previously commented on the program with John Schwartz and have read his article since then. I really enjoyed it, and I was so inspired that I decided to get the recommended book that he recommends in his article, uh, called *Secrets of the Temple*, uh, which I think is about the uh, the the history of the Fed. Mm. Uh, and uh, Steve says, "Well, it has arrived, and I was not expecting this mammoth beast." <laughs> Of 700-plus pages. The only books I've read this big were written by Tom Clancy, he he writes. I'm going to give it a shot, but it should come with a degree of some type upon completion. (laughs) Love listening to your podcast to and from work. Happy holidays and stay safe. Steve P, thank you, Steve P. As a matter of fact, I shared that note with uh, John Schwartz, who found it hilarious. I'm sure he did Uh, because
2: he went all the way through that thing.
1: Yeah, apparently he did, and he said uh, he said actually tell him there's a shorter version uh, (laughs) that he could have gotten that's a little bit older, but it's still uh, you know just as timely. Which Steve then uh, I told Steve about, and he ordered it, and he said this one's 400 pages. But he's going to try to get through that one as well. I guess we know what he'll be doing over the uh, over the holidays. And by the way, yeah, John Schwartz thought that was very funny, uh, which is a good compliment because John Schwartz used to write for Saturday Night Live.
2: Oh, really? Yeah, I did not know yes, that. Yes, he did. Wow.
1: Uh, before becoming a, a very serious journalist over at The Intercept. Uh, From Vicky, on uh, related coverage of the media's misreporting on the economy, for example, describing the more than 200,000 new jobs that were added last month as a disappointment under Joe Biden, but reporting on nearly identical numbers as astounding new jobs numbers when they occurred during the Trump administration. Subject from Vicky, uh, Subject bad numbers. Hi, Brad. Thanks for your commentary on the media's coverage of economic numbers under Republicans versus Democrats. I've long thought the media favors Republicans. Back in the late 90s and early 2000s, I listened to NPR all day. I was an artisan cheesemaker and spent 16 hours a day in the plant. And used to scream at the radio because they were so biased when it came to job and economy numbers under Democratic administrations. As you said, a number in the 200s for jobless claims gets vastly different analysis from pundits on even some of the more left leaning NPR programs as well as other outlets. A couple of weeks ago, I sent a feedback comment to AP. Because of their negative economic coverage, it's time we start holding these folks to account. Yes, please, Vicki. I think I've uh, mentioned a word or two along those <laughs> lines uh, in recent years.
2: Yep, good on Vicky being very observant.
1: Uh, Correct. And uh, yeah. And by the way, you know, for all the as I had pointed out, for all the people who were saying, oh, it's disappointing, I think it was November numbers, 210,000 jobs. That was somehow a disappointment, completely ignoring the fact that month after month in every single month over the past year, for some reason, and this did not used to happen, but the Bureau of Labor uh, uh, Statistics has uh, revised their new jobs numbers for previous months, sometimes as much as doubling it or more than doubling it. So the fact that they're not underscoring that point at NPR of all places, well, yes, please hold some feet uh, to the fire. And finally, from JM in California, subject language matters. Dear Brad, time to use the word conspiracy in all caps. Mm. Thank you for your courageous coverage. JM in California. Now, uh, in fact, I don't actually know for certain which show JM's Note is actually about, but frankly, does it matter? At this point, I don't know. Uh, there you go.
2: It could have been any of those shows that we've done in trying to cover this this coordinated plot by Republicans and the Trump administration and uh, Republican officials all over the country. This plot to steal the 2020 election. Yeah, that would be a conspiracy. Oh, yeah.
1: Just pick a show. Pick a show <laughs> at this point. For the record, uh, the note came from uh, JM uh, just after our previous show and my interview Uh, With Free Speech for People's legal director, Ron Fine, on the group's federal lawsuit just filed against the Federal Elections Commission for their failure to take any action at all in response to the administrative uh, complaint that the group had filed, that the Free Speech for People had filed about coordination in campaign spending in the 2016 presidential campaign between Trump's 2016 campaign and Russia. At the time. I don't actually know if that's what uh, J.M.'s note refers to or not, but I don't think it matters. We report. You decide.
2: (laughs) Well, J.M. is absolutely right that language matters and it matters how the media presents this information to the public. So it's not it's not trying to overturn the election. It was a conspiracy to steal the 2020 election. And no, it's not just all these terrible economic numbers. It's a Biden boom.
1: There you go. You heard it here first? <laughs> Maybe? I don't know. You can drop me an email if you like. I am Bradcast at Bradblog.com, but we gotta get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Helen Butler of the Peoplesagenda.org, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program. You can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, along with all of those other shows I just mentioned uh, in relation to the uh, listener mail. That's always free at bradblog.com, though bradblog.com and the broadcast are all thanks only to listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. Thanks in advance uh, for keeping us in mind as the year ends. Bradblog.com slash donate. That's it. You'll find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at TheBradBlog. I will see you there until we see you here, hopefully next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.